Week two, the Ryan Rossillo podcast every Monday with Chris Long, and I am live. I'm in Chris's hood. I'm in Atlantic City. This is your spot, right? Oh yeah, it's one of my uh, it's one of my hideaways, the city by the sea. That's right. So I'm gonna have to get some uh, recommendations from you a little bit later. But I am here at the Borgata, pretty excited because I'm here with Belvedere in a partnership with our good friends at Belvedere Vodka. Join us tonight for a live. Ryan Rosillo Show podcast in Atlantic City. Monday Night Football at the new Moneyline Bar and Book at the Borgata tonight at 7 Eastern. So, you know, look, by the time you listen to this, you've probably already made plans or you're on your way. Uh, was down earlier checking out the checking out the tables. Only four hours of sleep for this guy. And we're going to be enjoying cocktails made with Belvedere Vodka, the first super premium all-natural vodka, watching Browns, Jets, and talking football. Yeah, so I um, I didn't play. I got in really late. Little West Coast swing out here. Couldn't fall asleep. Was just too excited. Look at the clock. It's four something a.m. and I'm just sitting there and I'm watching, uh, watching a movie on my laptop. Not a weird one. All the President's Men. And uh, woke up. It's just ready to go. So we're gonna get a little boardwalk in after this. Maybe a little spa deal. That would be the gym. And then uh, just talk some sports. Talk football with sports fans. Well, I'm dealing with the brain fog too here. I mean, long weekend. That's really right. We're gonna to get... act, I, I acted like I was 23 this weekend. Those were the reports. So we'll get to your UVA win against Florida State. You were there in attendance. I have a bunch of fun stuff. We got to get through all of this. But I think the two biggest breaking news pieces are let's talk Rams Saints, specifically Saints with Breeze now out six weeks and news just before we started taping this. Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers, out for the entire season with that elbow injury where he missed some time yesterday. So you want to start Rams Saints? You want to start Breeze? Sure. What's the latest we have on Breeze? Breeze, it looks like six weeks. I think it's the gamekeeper's thumb, which is uh, the hot term being thrown around on Twitter right now by all the uh, Twitter.com MDs. Uh, nice. But, yeah, there are many of them, including myself a little bit. You know, when Sam Darnold got mono, I was like, hey, I had mono, by the way. Here's what you can expect. And with Breeze, I mean, I've, I've had two pretty serious thumb surgeries. They weren't gamekeeper's thumb injuries. Uh but I have actually a fused uh, right hand, so I can't flatten my hand. I drop keys, uh, all sorts of stuff on a regular basis. I can barely open my door. Um, thumb injuries suck, man. And, you know, I can't imagine being a quarterback, so this is going to change things. Right. So, you know, with New Orleans going to Teddy Bridgewater, at least they have somebody in there that they're going to trust a little bit more than when I did my backup quarterback thing, the 20 guys that have never even started a game. And... I don't really put a lot into what I saw from Rams Saints. I, I just don't. Like, the Rams were home. You have Breeze leave. You have the Cam Jordan fumble that was a terrible call. I don't understand why refs still are not just letting it play out. I don't know if it's a safety thing. Um, and between Breeze and that play, like, I don't leave this going, okay, now I understand the NFC far better because the Rams won this game. I mean, good for the Rams, good for Goff, Gurley getting some action there. But this isn't a telling thing because this version of the Saints isn't going to be who I expect him to be if Breeze can come back and be healthy the rest of the way. Well, I think I think it changes the entire landscape of the NFC. But having said that, I agree with you. There's nothing you can take from this matchup because when teams change quarterbacks, you know, things change. I mean, the year we won the Super right. Bowl with Nick Foles, you look at him his first couple games, and I'm not comparing Nick to Teddy. I mean, I like Teddy, but he's not Nick. Um, I think... When you look at 
the first couple games, you look back in Philly. I mean, we played the Raiders. We played the Falcons in that first-round game. Teams need time to adjust. We didn't look great. And then week three and four in that system, kind of like your preseason, you're shaking the rust off. Things can change. But I don't see it happening. Um, you look at their next eight weeks, they got three playoff teams from last year in the Hawks, the Cowboys, and and the Bears. And they got three division games in the Bucks, the Falcons, and the Bucks again. And those defenses look relatively stout. Um, so the big deal about the the Saints is if you're a player and you think you, your team in the NFC can make a run, I don't care what you say, you're always looking over your shoulder at the Saints and you're looking to see if they get home field advantage. Because if they get home field advantage, it is one of the three toughest places to play. Uh, and you can make a, a case that it is the toughest place to play in the playoffs, although I'm partial to the link. Um, I think that them over the next eight weeks and then the six weeks that presumably he'd be back or so, um, not getting home field advantage is a big deal in the NFC. It changes the entire landscape. And the team that might benefit the most is coincidentally the team uh, that they lost to yesterday in the Rams. Uh, so interesting game. The call was totally bogus. I mean, uh, it would have changed the complexity of the game. I don't know that the Saints win that game. But these refs need to swallow the whistle, man. I mean, we saw this uh, with, with the Jaguars against the Pats in the AFC Championship a couple years ago. Miles Jack forces a fumble. Uh, it'd be 27-10 if they swallowed the whistle. And uh, it ends up being a 24-20 New England win. And I think that completely changes what happens in that game. So we're going to see more and more big plays like this that we're leaving on the table and wondering what might have been if these refs don't get together with that. What's the maddest you've ever gotten at a ref? Uh, one guy told me, like, to shut the fuck up. And I was the like, ref said it to me? you? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, I can't punch you in the face. Uh, I've been ejected a couple times. I, I've, I've been called, you know, on some really bad roughing the passer um, calls before. But I think when a ref turns around, it's like, shut the fuck up. Okay, what did you say though? Like he didn't just do that in the I don't prompt. remember. You know how many you know how many low points I had in the Edward Jones dome? Me being sunned by a ref um and talked to like a child uh with no recourse was uh was not high on the list. Um Okay, so those guys we, will do that though. Like I've noticed that that some of the refs will just get to a point where they're gonna talk right back to you. Like I always think it's kind of weird, like the the man thing of I'm supposed to just let you undress me for three hours and call me everything in the book and like I'm like I'm not doing my job unless I absolutely take it like some of the stuff that yeah. happens to NBA refs and they're just supposed to turn the other cheek the entire time so I think like everybody has a breaking point but I do feel like in the NFL it's easier to hide it like it'd be really weird if an NBA ref did that to an NBA player I mean there would be all sorts oh, yeah. of OTLs on that but I think you, I think that like hearing that is funny, but I'm not entirely shocked. I think the NFL guys, after a while, some of them probably have that rep or scattering report that they're just going to come back at you, which I'm sure you guys don't love. Well, they probably watch baseball and they're probably like these fucking guys, these umpires. <laughs> I mean, they got some stones, man. They'll go out there and and talk about each other's families for like 38 seconds, and they're like, "I'm ejecting you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take you." I'm going to take you down through there. I mean, we're going to we're going to get into it and then I'm going to send your ass out. So, I know that the NFL refs are probably looking at, you know, the the umpires in baseball like these guys aren't even in good shape. And, you know, I got a way better chance of kicking somebody's ass than some of these baseball umpires. 
But um, they take a page from their book. It, it could get interesting. Okay, so all right, we've established that. You did say something else there, though, because I was in New Orleans for that Rams regular season game last year, and it was incredible. I haven't been to a ton of NFL stadiums, certainly not as many as I've been You know, to college games. I just like the college thing a little bit better, the atmosphere. But that Saints thing, not surprisingly, in New Orleans is unbelievable. And yeah, you know, you, you've been to some other places. All right, so you put well. No, I mean, I, I do want I do want to say this, right? I mean, you look at them the last ten years; they're fifty three and forty one on the road. The Saints, including playoffs, sixty seven and twenty eight at home. And right, you know, the like like we talked about, the entire landscape's going to change. You'll see what Kamara's Kamara's about, you know, because for the first time, he's going to feel what it's like when people are playing up and and loading the box and daring Teddy to beat them. You know, that chasm between the number one and number two wide receiver gets larger or more glaring. You know, Ingram's loss gets more glaring. I think Taysom Hill, if anybody, um, is a benefactor here. But you're going to see a totally different team, and and, uh, they got the coach that can pull it off, but I don't know that they're going to be able to only because even if they sneak in, they got to go on the road. Um, Cooper Cup was huge. I talked to Les Snead this summer. Uh, I still t- stay in touch with people that cut me, <laughs> but he, Les is my guy. He said, uh, he said Cup, getting him back is going to make a, bi- a big, big difference, and it did yesterday. Can I follow up then on, and that's a great stat on the home or road, because I remember when Breeze got really annoyed, he goes, you know, stop asking about the road. It's like, well, I mean, the evidence is, pretty overwhelming that you guys are a completely different team away from the dome but all right so what else besides if you put new orleans it sounds like you want to put it number one toughest place to play it sounds like you want to put the link in there just because you love philadelphia so much so what's you know what i'll I'll put well to me i'm gonna leave the link out of it because you know i can't do this thing where my favorite place to play i can't the toughest place to go win a football game and i had to do it like clockwork every week 17 for eight years is uh is in seattle um it's deafening. I mean, there's there's legends that they pipe in noise, and the fans, they're like kind of, they're kind of friendly, but they're just rabid. And uh, the noise, the engineering of that stadium is brilliant. It's a beautiful place. Um, the Superdome less beautiful, uh, but equally just. And they play that, um, you know, that little John song or what 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 is it? Uh, you know. Every time they sing it. they score, it's stand up and get crunk, and you're like, I am so fucking tired of this song, and and it, <laughs> and it's like part of the lore. It's like going up to Green Bay. The first time I played there, I talked to the vets. Like, what's it like? It's like it's a weird place. It's in the middle of a neighborhood, but you're gonna hear them do that. Dun, da da da. Go pack, go. They're gonna do that 14 times, and they've got like high school cheerleaders. It's really weird, and uh, weird. you know. It's just a weird place. I mean, yeah, they don't even have like real cheerleaders. They have like, they have like, you know, they they employ like kids to go out. It's it's just fucking weird. And uh, it's a great atmosphere. But I would say New Orleans is second to Seattle as far as a place is tough to win. Yesterday though, really telling. First time in thirteen years they haven't scored an offensive touchdown. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Not only is it going to be interesting to see if they can spell Drew Brees. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how he responds coming back with with thumb injuries. Um, like I said, I have a little experience with this. The smaller the injury, uh, the more complicated the ligaments, the mus the muscles. Um, you know, the more exact your rehab has to be. And you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that when he gets back with the timing, he's one of the best anticipate anticipatory throwers well, yeah, in the go. history of the game. 
it's going to be really hard for him to just pick up where he left off. I want to talk Ben. Uh, my friends have said this about me. They go, Ryan, no one is better at complimenting people you don't like. And I was like, that's right. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm stern, but I'm fair. And Ben Roethlisberger is one of those dudes. Like I was on that pretty early where I go, what's up with this guy and the injuries? Like, why is, why is he saying he almost died all the time? How did he say he had a self-diagnosed fever of like 105? And I know there's another version of this Roethlisberger thing that we can get back. And I, I'm not comfortable doing the off. He might run stuff. hot. That's, right, His temperature right, might run hot. But, you know, the quotes, the weird selling out like coaches in a radio interview. And yet then the Ben thing always became like this thing where you had to, you had to like take sides. You had to take Antonio Brown's side. You had to take Le'Veon Bell's side. You had to take Roethlisberger's side. I thought once the offensive line turned on Le'Veon Bell, like that was kind of all I needed to know because those dudes don't ever do that kind of stuff. And I will say that I, I don't like Ben, but I appreciate him. And the fact that he's out for the season and how he's kept this offense. Now, I don't know if he's going to keep this offense going together this year, but you know, part of it is the front office and how great they are identifying wide receivers. But part of it is also a little bit like Breeze. So I'll be curious to see what Michael Thomas looks without him. But Breeze, you know, it's also on Roethlisberger and how good he is that every single dude that seems to get a lot of snaps puts up big numbers. And then as soon as yep. that receiver leaves there, you know, it's, it's he's just not the same guy. Like Mike Wallace is like one of the all-timers for that. Not that he went to a great situation in Miami, and I don't blame him for taking the cash. Mm -hmm. So Roethlisberger now being out for the season, we knew there was an elbow injury. This news happens right before it goes down. And like I said, like, I don't, I don't love the guy, but there's no denying Yes, he's not Brady, he's not Rodgers, but he's always kind of flirted. And when you look at the production of it, like I felt like he's kept this thing together. I mean, whenever anyone would want to take sides in the Bell Brown Roethlisberger thing, I'm like, at least Ben showed That's up to work. That's a silly thing. Right, but I'd be like, at least Ben showed it's up a, to it's work. It's a silly thing. How simple are we that we can't say both sides are fucked up on a couple levels? No, that's I impossible mean, like, now. You know, so I... I I think the big question is, what do the Steelers look like for the next five to 10 years? We know what they look like the last five to 10 years. And that team coming out and losing in New England the way they did, it's just that poke. It's that reminder that you guys have a ceiling, even with Ben. Because if you want to make a run, it goes through Foxborough the way the Patriots look right now. So, you know, before Ben's injury, you're wondering what the ceiling of this team is. Uh, even if they get their house in order, after the injury, you could be looking at a totally different landscape in this organization for a long time. Having said that, though, Ben did come off one of his best statistical years in a long time last year. So if he can get healthy, I'm not ready to say it's over, uh, but he's out. When you're, he's age done. when you're aging in the NFL and you're getting older, you know, I just talked to my dad about this. Um, we were talking about... Um, you know, getting older in the NFL my last year. And uh, by the way, I still feel great. But when you get old in the NFL, you don't know when it's going to be. Is it going to be what injury is going to be? What week of the year? The, the bottom can fall out at any time. So when you have these older quarterbacks who take hits and move around like Ben does and, and, and does rely on his mobility, um, when's that going to be? And mentally, the aspect of it's been a long couple years. Um, and, and, so you're, uh, you're and talking sort of, about, you're talking about like after this year is what you're saying. You're talking about, I'm like saying, yeah, I'm saying, I, the, I don't want to call them irrelevant this year. Cause I respect anybody in the NFL. You've got a chance to beat people any week. And I don't want to disrespect the backup quarterback. You, you never know who the next Tom Brady is, right? That's what everybody says when, 
when uh, when their when their starter goes down. They're like, well, Drew Bledsoe and Tom Brady. But I, I'm not going there. I'm just saying I respect anybody's ability to make a play. I will say though that they're not a team that I see as relevant in December and January. And yeah, look, I think beyond, you're being too fair. I think you're being too well, nice beyond, about this right now. I am being very nice about it. But beyond that, that's the real conversation. What's it look so, like next year and the five years down the road? All right. Yeah, that that makes sense because because it is one of those things where Mason Rudolph comes in and let's face it, like Mason was a guy that people were really split on when he was coming out of his system at Oklahoma State. It's like, man, that's kind of one of those one side of the field deals. Like how many bubbles can you keep throwing? You know, and, and I always try to remind myself like what Gundy told me. He goes, you know, every time you think we throw that bubble that doesn't work, you don't understand. Like we're making the defense stretch side to side. He goes, and then the more they're thinking about it, the more they're thinking about it, that's when we take our shots down the field. I was like, okay, Mike, I will defer to you because you are coaching the system and I'm sitting here watching. He's a man. Here. He's a man. Yeah. He's 50. That's right. No, because I, I talked to him about it off Which the that air. makes me feel really fucking old because when I first saw that video, I was like 10. Okay, he's 40. <laughs> And now, he, <laughs> and now he's 50. By the way, though, when you watch Mason play yesterday, I will say this. The guys rallied around him, supported him. And you can tell a lot about how people celebrate with guys in the NFL. Uh, you can tell a lot about the dynamic. And, and he, he did look like he, he excited the guys. So uh, I'm not yeah, going to disrespect the Steelers. And, um, but I will speculate on what the future looks like. Okay, that's, that's fine. That's fine. All right. So what is it like, though? Because you've played with maybe the greatest ever in Brady, um, a guy that has a chance to be really good in Wentz. I know how much you guys love Foles. Like, you guys love Foles. And it's funny because your love for Foles then turned into some fake Wentz-Foles locker, locker room oh thing. We have, to do, God, like, we have yeah. to do a deep dive on that controversy in another podcast. But. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I go check out my shrine. Anybody listening, go check out my shrine, which was a direct, uh, I'm paying homage. Episode two, I'm much better with my silent H's. I'm paying homage to Major League and Joe Boo. Uh, and it's like kind of a joke. It's trying to keep the locker room loose. But next thing you know, I got people saying, Chris Long hates Carson. I love Carson. Carson is You're so right. fun to watch and play with. When all the, the stuff came out about Carson, which I think is really easy to do in the media where you're like, and I find two out of maybe 70 dudes that roll through this locker room that want to dump on Carson Wentz. Like, that's really easy to do. That's, that's super And I handpicked one quote. Yeah. And I handpick one quote out of a 10-minute, so you're painting this picture, um, which is bullshit. Yeah, we'll do a deeper dive on that because I want to get back to this thought in that there also have been years. And by the way, I put together every quarterback that ever started a game that you played in. I'm going to see how many you can get. And it's not Ooh. Chris Long trivia week because I think you'll actually do pretty well with this. But it, I wrote them yeah. all down. And it's only guys that started, not through a pass. So we'll let you off the hook because that's not exactly fair. But what is the vibe like? whether it's preseason and you may not have a guy. And again, this isn't disrespecting guys you played with, but I've got to imagine going week to week with somebody like Brady or somebody like Wentz or maybe Bradford early on, not that he's in that group, versus, you know, shit, this is a backup and the vibe is just different. Like human nature would tell me in the locker room, maybe even if that backup doesn't really play great in that first game, that it completely changes the mood with a team and and you guys it's going to be tough to be like the same group that comes out week one thinking you have a chance well there's a few ways it can go down I mean you can have an incredible roster with a subpar quarterback and you always feel like hey we can we can we can get over the hump our roster is so good what we had in in Philly was unique because we know Nick is good and we had this unbelievable roster I mean unbelievable we were so good in 17 it was anyways I and then you can have 
uh, a really bad roster and a quarterback who can help you but has nothing around him. Like we had Sam in 2012 when we went to Cleveland and he tore his ACL in preseason. That was the year. That was the Rams window. And Jeff had built quietly a very good roster, uh, especially on defense. And, and that can be crippling uh, because this was after waiting and waiting and waiting, this was our opportunity. This was the window. And most teams in the NFL, they have small windows. Team like New England, that window's 20 years long. Uh, so it depends on the situation you're in. And then there's a team that's bad and they have a bad quarterback to start the year off. And I've been on those teams. Um, but I will say this. Every team in the preseason drinks the Kool-Aid. You can't help it. How else can you justify bashing your brains in four hours a day in the heat, spending 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. in the building without thinking you got a shot? Now, usually by week two or week three, you know what your ceiling is. But we're really good in the NFL at tricking ourselves. And then on top of that, uh, you play for your pride as well. So it's not like if you have a bad quarterback, you're going to pack it in. It can be depressing and it can suck, but you got a lot to play for as an individual. And that's not being selfish, but the mantra in the NFL, at least in my opinion, on being a lot of, on being on a lot of bad teams is control what you can control. So, uh, you know, the one thing you can't have though is disruptive guys in a locker room, um, when your quarterback isn't the best player. And there are some situations like that that we all know occur on a regular basis. Uh, because then it's going to be hard to keep it together. If you've got a good locker room, you can overcome it. Your first year was 2008. Um, I want to see how many of these you're going to get. How many hmm. starting quarterbacks that you've played with can you name? Mark Bolger? Yep. Uh, um, obviously, Sam Bradford. Are we going to – we just do just – do, if we just do the Rams, we'll be here – we might need to do a Friday pod, too. Uh, there was Austin Davis, Kellen Clemens. Right. Yeah. Uh, who, who I love both of those guys. Uh, I think at one point we started Keith Null. Or did uh, he just throw Keith a pass? Null. He didn't start. Keith, no, he started. Um, oh. Wait a minute. Let me, let, me, let me double check my Keith Null stuff here because I was looking him up this morning. But yeah, I have like Brock Berlin had three pass attempts in a game, so I'm not yeah. I'm not counting yeah. him. That would be unfair. We had we that had would be unfair. We had Nick Foles, obviously. We had the had Purdue guy uh, Kyle Bowler. That's um, right, Bowler. How many out of the Rams have I gotten? You're missing. I can't. One of these you're missing is going to be an issue when he finds out that it's taking you this long. Well, I've also I drank about twenty five units of alcohol on Saturday night. So All right, so yeah, Keith Knoll started 4 and 09. So you got you got Bolger, you got Bowler, you got Knoll, you got Bradford. You're missing a couple more Rams. <laughs> early or late? One early, one in the Bolger year. Okay. Going to have a hard time there. I blacked that out. Do you want me to just give it to you? No, I don't cuz I want to get the one that I want to get the one that uh I There's get, another I, I one really, that's your boy. He came, we were out together, and he was convinced that we'd all hung out. And I was like, we, no, we definitely didn't. Um, and he's closer to my age now, which is accurate back then when we first met. Um, famous wife. Hmm. Well, oh, okay. Yeah, obviously, A.J. Feely. I just, I've, and A.J. Feely, 
AJ Feely is one. AJ Feely is one of the most classic. You're gonna have to edit this down so it looks like I got him quicker. The problem with AJ Feely is, I think of him as like an eagle. Um, so, and I've been more friends with him lately. This is the problem. You play in St. Louis long enough. Oh, let's not let's not forget Case Keenum. That's right, Case Keenum. Case Keenum, who's an, a total stud and a gentleman, and uh, and and thank you for being a part of my most impactful play of my career. By the way, um, I don't expect I didn't expect you knowing you to be like, oh, Case Keenum, dipshit. Like you just that's not the way. No, you roll. if if somebody's a dipshit, I just might not say it. And this is an opportunity for me to say that Sam Bradford is a fucking man. And if you don't like Sam Bradford on a personal level, you want to get into football. But you, you you question his toughness or his commitment or any of this stuff. Kiss my ass. Unfollow me. I felt so bad. Did I lose I a bunch felt, of followers? No, I know how much you like. <laughs> the guy. The guy. The guy was like a tackling dummy for years in St. Louis. It was criminal how they surrounded him. And the problem is, when you make a lot of money, everybody is eager to hate you. Um. He was an awesome, awesome teammate and a good friend. And uh, and I'll tell you what, he got off the mat so many times uh, in his career with injuries and in, in bad situations. And there's things he could have done better, but I want to shout him out. Um, I, I he Okay, my buddy Reed just showed me Trent Green. Trent Green that first year. By the way, I had met Bradford and I had done this segment on the air about how much money he made. And when we first met at one of your charity deals, and he actually was really nice. And he said, hey, yeah, I actually listen to you. It's just, you know, you and Scott all the time. And I went, oh, man, I'm like, I'm like, did you ever catch me kind of breaking down how much money you've made and not played? He's like, yeah. He's like, I just, you know, he's like, I just changed the channel. No big deal. <laughs> he's <laughs> listen, that guy's a, a strong willed individual, man. Um, and then in, in uh, New England, we had Jacoby Brissett, yep. obviously. Uh, yep. And there was one one guy who's like a Hall of Famer. Um, yep. Garoppolo and then, obviously, and then Brady. And Garoppolo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then in in uh, in Philly, it's obviously Foles and, and Wentz. Um, yeah. You so only yeah, missed one. You only missed one. Trent Green. Sh- Sean Hill. He a turf. Sean Hill, who's one of my favorites. Clearly not your favorite. If he's one of your well, favorites, no- you just. You know what, though? I think you passed. I'm not worried about you. Health wise. I'm just telling. I'm just telling. I'm just telling you. When you play amidst the carnage that was that era, you black stuff out. I forgot I was really fucking good for a while. <laughs> like, I like forgot it. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, you were a pretty good football player. I was really good for a while. But the problem is you did it. It was like a tree falling in the forest. And like, not just people not remembering, but like you black it out because it was so stressful. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was bad. We almost went 0-16 one year. We were a fake field goal in Detroit away from going 0-16. 1-14, I think I won 39 games in eight years with the Rams. That's an incredible stat. I want to talk about the touchdown at some point. But before we do that, uh, let's get to Jacksonville. Let's get to some other NFL stuff. Let's get to your UVA week against Florida State. Before we do that, let me oh, ask you, is there anything game. better? That's right. Is there anything better than watching football? Of course there is. It's watching football with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football, is giving new users a free shot at over $1.5 million in prizes with your first deposit 
deposit when you sign up with my code. That's Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, catch, mean more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. What do you think this weekend? You get a you get a single matchup? What about Dalvin? What about uh, Dalvin again? Th- this is fantasy? Yeah, but like one day fantasy. I'm thinking... I mean, this I'm is still learning exactly how like, to set my lineup. Oh, Dalvin Cook against the Raiders. That's my play. They wanted me to mention I, something. I drafted so Jameis Winston. Do you, I drafted Jameis Winston. Yeah, that's why I'm doing the DraftKings read. You aren't. I, I accidentally drafted Lamar Miller, and he's out for the season. It was like one of the last picks. I was nervous. I blanked. They made me take he was two ranked shots. High. Well... I hadn't been paying attention to the Texans Obviously. preseason. Yeah, that was out there so. for a while, too. So that's 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 bad. All right. So on top of all that stuff and the promo code Rosillo, plus all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the code Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's code Rosillo to get a free shot at over $1.5 million in prizes with your first deposit. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25-time playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Do you want to do the Jags thing? Do you want to start with Minshew? Yeah, by the way, you're good at those. Thank you. That's intimidating. That's what the salespeople... No, that's what the people say, that I'm I'm considered (laughs) one of the best in the world. So thank you. Also good at radio in general, but... Yeah, Jaguars. I mean, by the way, I think they're a strong candidate. We can get to the best flight, worst flight later. Um, strong candidate yeah. for worst, worst flight. I got to tell you, this Gardner Minshew guy, um, like everybody else in the country, I am just super excited he's alive. I mean, he, he's what the NFL needs. His his suit was, if you want to call that a suit, it's tremendous. Imagine going on the road to play a playoff team in your first start and just having the stones to throw that on with the stash. I stalked the guy's Instagram. I just want to know what he's about. You know? He, Did you DM him? I didn't DM him. I didn't even follow him, but he's 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 a good, wholesome guy, I think. He's just got a lot of swag. And, uh, you know, they ha- he had him right there with a chance to win it. Uh, love the two-point conversion call to win it. If you can steal a game on the road against a division opponent um, with that momentum he had and with your backup quarterback, you got to do it. The thing I hate is taking it out of his hands. I mean, so do that. Like break four- down, break down the two point thing for us. Cause oh, I know you're the two big point on this. thing. I'm, I'm really scientific, but I, so I will say this. The only reason I didn't like that was Fournette was like 14 carries for 27 yards or so uh, on the ground on inside runs yesterday. Um, so I, I just, and that's the problem. We're going back and forth on this on this uh, two-point conversion thing. It's kind of the hot thing to do now. We're seeing a lot of games decided by two-point conversions. You saw yesterday the wild turn of events in Chicago. I think that coaches on the analytical end are looking at it and saying, you know, since 2015 when PATs were moved back, it's been a trend, and you have to look hard at the fact that per 10 touchdowns, uh, two-point conversions are yielding 10 points and extra points are yielding nine and a half points. So it's a marginal difference. But if you really, if you're like a numbers guy, 
this is what people want to do. Uh, but the problem with this is not all teams are created equal. So that's my problem in general with analytics. Analytics without context, it's it's troublesome. You know, the Eagles go on a on a six conversion stretch where they go five for six, and like the Lions and Broncos go zero for nine at, at one point. So. If you're looking at a sheet and you're on the Lions and the Broncos, it's not working out for you. If you're Doug Peterson and you're offensively kind of a mastermind or you had Frank Wright and uh, Flip, you know, that Super Bowl year, uh, you're going to be inclined to go for it because you've got, you've got the personnel and you call the right plays. But analytics ignores some of that. And you see it with, like, the Lions and Broncos, for instance. So, like, last year, you look at week week seven, Vrabel opted to go for two, down one against the Chargers, and he failed. I like the call. Uh, Lynn, who saw it, and I don't know if this crept into his head, turned around and, and did it to Kansas City and converted late in the season, if you remember that. So, yeah, not all two-point conversions are created equal, but we'll see more and more of these uh, deciding games. That's always been my argument about this, you know, because – Everyone, the analytics side loves the two-point conversions because of the simple math in it, which I completely understand, right? And But then when it doesn't work, it's like, oh, well, why did you go ahead and do that? Because I, I would think lining up, even though the numbers that you just gave me on Fournette running up the middle aren't very good, you're like, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with spreading it out and trying to get a couple yards of Fournette? And I actually think the ball crossed the plane with the way his body was lined up and the way his arms are positioned, but there was no review that was ever going to show you that that was going to happen. So mm. uh, I thought I thought like it was one of those things, you see that a lot, where like that ball has to be in, but I don't actually see it physically. Like, I can't see it with my eyes that it's crossed the plane. I'm just going on body positioning and where his arms would be and assuming where the ball would be, like, through yeah. an x-ray thing. So having said that, nice. and it's the same thing with a fourth down. Like, everybody loves going for a fourth down. Like, don't just give me these mass-produced stats that are just an accumulation of thousands of scenarios. That's why, like, I next hate gen? Are you next-gen, bro? Some of the next-gen stuff's great, but, like, completion likelihood means nothing to me. You know, and, and actually, like... When I look at some of those those commercials where the throw is unbelievable and like Russell Wilson gets all the credit on that throw, receivers don't get enough credit for how they run under these balls. It's yep. it's one of the things that we miss as fans and viewers all the time where we'll see like a receiver in stride, but like a lot of times the ball's kind of up and the guy's going underneath it himself to go ahead and run it. So great for the like will, like Willie and, Mays shit. And then, exactly. and then the back shoulder the back shoulder stuff is impressive. I mean, when it comes to analytics, I'm out of my element, Donnie. I mean, I, I did you just I know what I know. Yeah. That's amazing. So, but I, I want to finish this thought though, because it, everyone just wants to say, well, hey, fourth down in this situation. Okay, but what what's going on? Like, what's the two-point conversion? Okay, do I have a really good running back, but do they have really, really fast guys in their goal line package that kind of nullifies my ability to get around the edge and I don't like my center? You know, or I'm, I'm worried about the exchange. I mean, granted, the exchange thing, the pros, is something you can't worry about. But in college, I mean, it happens all the time. Like, they ask these kids to go ahead and take a snap from from under center in, like, a weird spot, and it looks like the kid's yeah. never done it before. So yeah. the fourth down is even more of a pet peeve. Like, when I think back to Frank Reich in that Colts game last year against the Texans, that one's completely different. But they're fourth and four. They're on their own side of the field. And it's like, hey, if you don't get this fourth and four, you lose the game now maybe Reich who said I'll do it 10 out of 10 times we play to win it sounds good and maybe there's a there's an emotional payoff that is there later for a locker room that I couldn't understand unless I was in that locker room and I'm sure other locker rooms wouldn't give a shit but 
a lot of these decisions are in the game. In the, hey, how, what has worked? What hasn't worked? What's the personnel matchup? Do we like our guy against their guy? And so to sit there and just say, hey, here are the numbers. Here's what you're supposed to do on fourth down. Here's how often you're supposed to do two point conversion. I just don't think it's specific enough, and it, it's and too shit, general. And, that, and that's what makes a good coach a good coach. I mean, like anybody who's just like looking at the sheet. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but if you can look at the sheet, it's relevant. Let's just not get carried away. What happened on the drive? I mean, and you you mentioned Frank, by the way. He's my early pick for coach of the year. Who's not high on the Colts right now? Two weeks. Feel good story. Two, yeah. Two I weeks love, in. Hey, Frank Reich and, and Doug Peterson. Do you remember the South Park episode? There's like a there's a gif you should look it up. It's Stan's dad on South Park, and he's just got his balls in a wheelbarrow. They're just so they're just massive, and and. And that's that's what I think of when I think of those two coaches. And they're the guys that just do it. They 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 go for it on fourth down. You saw it with Doug last night. You you, you mentioned Frank. They rubbed off on each other with this stuff. I mean, um, but not all coaches are that bold, and some of them really need to be. They need to be coddled with the with the play sheet, and the play sheet and the probability is not always going to tell you the truth. And that's what we're talking about: is the context, adding the context to the analytics. Let's stay with the Jags, though, and talk a little bit about that sideline stuff that was going on with Marone and Ramsey. And just to set the table on the Ramsey thing, we know how good he is. You know, he came up to ESPN before the draft, and that's usually like when you can start to see, like, and he's he just rolled in, was like, hey, I'm the best player. I'm the number one pick. And like, look, I don't blame a guy for doing that, especially he's corners. Right. Like we've come to accept it, right? But when you do the, the long-form interview where you call everybody out, which is what he did, you're going to get a different level of attention. And when you get that different level of attention and then things aren't really working out for you, it can become a really combustible situation. And I think that's what we're seeing with Ramsey. And like some of the Ramsey stuff I like. And then other times, like when they had beaten New England in, in the regular season and he was talking about how like he was the dude that was locking up Gronk the whole time. And then I went back and looked at every single play. I was like, dude, you barely looked at him for five plays. Like your safety was on him way more than well, you part, were. Part of it with any great corner or skill guy is there's an element save for deandre hopkins who just shows up doesn't say shit and balls out one of my favorite players this guy you love that dude a, so much he's I your favorite DeAndre receiver hopkins, in the league bro. right is he your number one yeah he's receiver my favorite i don't know if he's the best he's my favorite um and then and then you know you look at ramsey i mean he is legitimately uh a total he's just a stud man and 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 part of the gamesmanship for him is the talking and then going back and forth. I mean, he's given us some legendary post-game pressers, um, which you could do an entire segment on. But I think at the end of the day, it's a combustible situation because there is a lot of there's a lot of question marks right now. And this is a team that, you know, two years ago was, like we said, a bad call away from being in the Super Bowl. And I know Pats fans will be mad at me for saying that, but that's a reality. I think that game's different. Um, Jalen is the best player on the team. And if he gets into it with a coach with Marone, that's a problem. And I think you asked me earlier, like, what's it like when you get into it on the sideline? It's like two players can get in a fist fight and go back to work. Now, certain guys have different, different codes about like fighting and like, I don't fight my teammates and we're not good after we fight, but I've been in fights and then we're good, you know, scuffles or whatever. I've seen plenty of pretty ugly fights where guys were good. I mean, it might always be in the back of your head going forward, but players are in the trenches together. And coaches and players, when they have a blow up like that, 
especially if they don't have a long history. Like, you know, like you look at Tom and McDaniels, I think that's different because they know each other so well. And there's an equity in their importance in the organization. You know, with Marone and Ramsey will no doubt be there longer than him unless Ramsey forces a way out, which he's given indication he wants to go elsewhere. But if he wants to, he'll outlast Marone. But Marone, in general, he can cut players. Coaches can cut cut players and and can dispose of players at will. So players are not going to get over sideline altercations with coaches the same way a player and a player can get into it and get over it. I've I've seen a few of them. Um, and 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 Sage Rosenfeld have one? is a great. Like, do you have one that you remember? Uh, I remember you know two teammates in St. Louis getting into it. Um, and. You know, a quarterback was getting into a receiver, and uh, one of the D linemen came over and just grabbed him up, and and it was an ugly scene. But everybody's good. I mean, everybody's good. Like after the game, it's talked out. Those guys play together. They celebrate together. They're back to work together. Um, it's just different. And you saw Sage. We this tweet and Sage yeah, Rosenfeld right. is a great follow. Right. I interrupted um, you twice when you were talking about Sage, but I just want to make sure we got that through because Rosenfels did that really good tweet on it. So go ahead. He did. And and what did you think when you saw the video? Uh, I thought it was teammates that were sick of Jalen. That's what I saw. But you may have changed my mind. I, I just looked at the other two guys. I think there were two defensive backs. I think they had 20s on. And they were watching Jalen. Like Jalen had said something, and then he sat down next to those guys. Now, maybe those guys are just exhausted. but I think in, I, I think in general there's – Players protect each other from coaches. So, you know, if Jay, Marone could have said something really out of pocket to Jalen, right? Totally. Maybe, and, yeah. and And in that situation, players might go over and say, Coach, we need to take a walk. And Jalen could have said something out of pocket and warranted to Marone. By the way, defense is playing its ass off in that game. Um, and Jalen's the best player on the team. So... Part of that might be protecting Jalen from an uglier situation because there's a camera on everybody, especially if you're the best player on the team. Uh, if I had to be a fly on the wall anywhere on Sunday, I would have liked to have heard what was said because somebody said something out of pocket to somebody. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But I don't know if Jalen was calming down after he realized or if he was sitting there calming himself down because he was so mad at Marone. The problem is for Jalen in this spot, because he's been the vocal one since day one, the court of public opinions is already against him. And the other thing that happens is, is when you talk all that shit and you're good, no problem. But like, these are the rules. And then you come back the next year, even if it's on the quarterback, right? Even if it's on Bortles. And, but that defense has not been the defense that we thought they were going to be coming out of two years ago, two years ago. We're like, this thing is loaded. Look at the personnel, look at how well they've scouted and drafted and they're ready to go, and then that wasn't the game. I don't know. Like Denver's always had this kind of thing where I look at their personnel at the beginning of the year, and then statistically it looks like they're falling off, and I go, is it the defense isn't as good, or is it the defense going, we got no shot. Like if we score 14 points, that's sweet. And I don't know if that's what Jacksonville fell into, but for Jalen, the rules are the rules, and when you're going to ask for all that attention and your team isn't delivering, then everybody's just going to turn on you, fair or not. As long as you're the best, as long as you're the best player on the field, and this is all speculative. So the, the thing I don't True. like to do is say this is what happened. Like Marone totally. could have said yep. something, and this is the thing: some coaches, and I don't know Marone, but some coaches, they'll say whatever to you. And a great coach will communicate. A great coach is not going to make it personal, because for most players, it's a one-way conversation. And what happens is coaches. 
and of course I'm pro player, right? But coaches will, will come at you so sideways and say things that they would never say outside the building where they don't have some leverage over you. And sometimes coaches will forget that they're talking to the most important guy in the building. And if you say something that crosses the line, there's certain things, and all players know where that line is. Um, but I don't know what happened there. So until we know, I don't know. I just know that they had a really, a really bad plane ride home. Um, and when your best player and your coach are, coach is at odds, it's going to be hard. Do you? Uh, is this where I ask you for a Bill story? You don't want to tell me? Like, let me, let me know. Did Bill <laughs> ever say sideways stuff to you guys? I think Bill knows. There's an understanding. Bill knows. Bill's going to cuss anybody out, but the, but getting cussed out is there's a couple things that I won't allow as a player. If a coach calls me soft, we're going to have a problem, right? Um and that and and I've seen players get called that word. There's certain things that other guys they don't take kindly to. You know, like there's every player has a button. And the problem is the coaches sometimes feel like you can just talk to players. The best coaches I've dealt with are great communicators. And even coaches that I'm really tight with still, we had some bad falling out, but, or we had some, we had some bad fights, you know, um, and they could be position coaches. I'm not going to name names, but at the end of the day, the way you get over that is that you have a long relationship. Like if you're in a building for years and you and that coach have that familiarity and he didn't say something too over the line, that's when you got a shot. But most players are in and out. So there's no like, I'm giving this coach the benefit of the doubt. That was a mistake. We have time to mend this. Uh, I've been lucky. I was in St. Louis for eight years. <laughs> if I ever had, you know, got into it with a coach, um, we handled it like men. And I also was one of the highest paid guys on the team. So I felt like I had the autonomy to do that. When you feel bad is when these young guys get talked to however, you know, however a coach wants to talk to them because they know they're disposable. And what's a player going to do? He's going to cuss the coach out back, get you know, get personal with the coach. Like he just got, I've seen coaches say things like, you know, your mother should have never had you like what? <laughs> that seems, and harsh. you expect this, that doesn't you, you expect it in, in, in very colorful language. You expect the 23 year old kid like who could whoop the coach's ass, no doubt about it, to sit there and sit on his hands because he could get cut. He could get cut for just cussing the coach back out. So there's like a manhood thing. And this is not the Jacksonville thing because I have no idea what happened. But just in general, I mean, there's this weird dynamic where there's a power dynamic. Um, and I know like sometimes like players, you're like, oh, of course you're pro player on every issue. I'm pretty measured. But when it comes to talking to people, however you want to talk to them, coaches are usually violators of that. Yeah, it does always seem to be – I'll hear stories, and it always feels like it's the position guys that lose their minds more often Posi than the head Position guys. Do. Yeah, You're right. position guys, because I don't know – you know, think there's always kind of like a fake tough guy thing in there. I mean, unless the guy absolutely played like he was that monster. Who was the dude who was the tight ends coach that took over as the head coach of the Dolphins for a while, and I thought like he was going to suit oh, back up? Oh, he was a badass. Yeah, right. Played, like, he legitimately – I got to look him yeah. up. Do you not remember his name? Because I was going to go ahead and and – uh, he was, sure. he had him rolling for a second. I, uh, damn yeah, tight yeah. Ends coach. Everybody loved playing for him. You know, Philip Daniels was one of my D line coaches in, um, in, in, in Philly guys, like a power lifter at like 45 years old. He played 15 years in the league, 300 pounds of muscle. <laughs> so, I mean, you're never going to concede that somebody's going to kick your ass, but it's nice when a coach, you know, you can at least respect their physical ability. 
Yeah, Dan um, Campbell. I'm not Dan gonna, Campbell. I'm not Dan Campbell. Yeah, stud. We got to get that. I'm guy not going to have podcast. some five seven guy talking sideways to me. That never plays. <laughs> I, right. I think those are sort of the rules of life. Can I share a Bill story with you that's over ten years old, and you can tell me whether or not this one's true? I'm 99% sure it's true. Uh, somebody in the room told me years later because I was always fascinated by Bill. Like I think, you know. Why, why wouldn't you be, right? Right. Why wouldn't you be fascinated by a guy that's been able to do this for 20 years? And, you know, with this Brady thing, I, I do believe you could argue it's going to be the most improbable run in the history of modern sports by any one athlete to, to do this in this league this long, coming where he came from. But the Pats, it was towards the end of the year. They'd beaten an NFC team that had a good record. And, you know, everybody goes in the locker room and Bill huddles everybody up and he's already trying to just, temper everything and he goes all right um he goes all the reporters are out there it's a nice win you can have a bag of hand jobs for you that team wouldn't go 500 in the afc just remember that <laughs> this is true i mean i guarantee you that's true i never heard the story <laughs> but he's got a know. great like he has a great dry sense of humor he's one of the most underrated like funny people um <laughs> and and if you were in the meeting room, like he just has a funny way of like bringing a little levity to humbling the shit out of you, right? And, not to uh, not to send this podcast in a direction where you know I I get worried every now and then when a buddy will text me like, hey, I'll, yeah, I'll be listening. You know, he goes, you know, every now and then we we pretend we don't hear the swears when the kids are in the car, so I don't want to start referencing bag of HJs left and right, but I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard, well, and I'm it actually, yeah. like, it locked everybody back in. Okay, um, I want to do the NFC North, and then I have another game for you, and then we'll do UVN and uh, UVA night, excuse me. Before we do that, do you want to be able to watch every single NFL game this season? Of course you do. No matter where you live or what team you root for this season, there's a proven way to watch every football game live for a fraction of the cost. Express VPN. Use Express VPN to buy the international game pass. Express VPN lets you spoof your location so you can buy the international game pass for just $125 and stream all the games. Express VPN comes with apps for computers, mobile, and digital media players like Fire TV. Plus, use Express VPN every time you go online to keep all your network data encrypted, secure, and safe from hackers. Express VPN is the fastest VPN, costs less than $7 per month, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Enjoy all 256 games of the 2019 NFL season with the world's most trusted VPN, Express VPN. When you really start doing the math on this, seven bucks a month, you get to watch all the games. Why aren't you trying this? Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com. We're going slash dual. That's expressvpn. So again, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash dual for three months free. So just do that. Three months free, one year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash dual, D-U-A-L, to learn more. I need to check my VPN. You do. You do. We'll get you we'll get you hooked up with an account. You've been kind of Mr. NFC North guy for the first couple of weeks. And this has surprised yeah. me the passion that you've had about this division. And every day we defense. talk, you're like, Yeah, you, you you can't get enough of the, the NFC North. So go ahead. The floor's yours. Well, I mean, it's the first game that I saw as a fan was when and saw my brother play. Um so I, I got the you know, I I got my feet wet as a fan in the NFC North and with the good people of Chicago. Uh, who were so accommodating? Um, that doesn't and it's sound just, it, genuine. They were, they were, they really were. They're awesome. Oh, okay. It's a really all cool right, city. Right. I looked out my uh, out my window. I thought I was in the Caribbean. 
that water was just aqua. It was beautiful. One of my favorite stadiums too, Soldier Field. So fun to play at. And uh, the columns are awesome. The defenses are even better though in the NFC North. I think uh, it's it's by a wide margin. All four teams are tough uh, on that side of the ball. Offensively, not so much everywhere right now. Uh, but you know the big the big matchup yesterday that I watched the most was Packers Vikings. Did you watch that one? I did watch a good chunk of it because Aaron came out. Aaron Rodgers, for those wondering. Aaron came out on fire, and you just start thinking, like, because there were some numbers you could dig in there on some of those throws. You're like, this guy's accuracy slipping a little bit. Like, what's going on? Is he the selfish one? You know, is McCarthy actually better? You know, is Aaron a guy? Like, remember all the kind of ant? This is like the most, I would say the strongest, most anti Aaron Rodgers stuff that had been out there really at any point in his career. And then yeah. I watched the beginning of that Vikings game, and I'm like, why did I ever think that maybe this guy was slipping? Even though there were some numbers that told you he was, but yeah, he's he's a he's a robot. I mean, like just a a scary robot. Um, he looked awesome. You know, they they come out first drive, they get uh, Devonte Adams going, they score in two and a half minutes. Um, then you know Vikings come back, miss a field goal, second drive, Adams again. And then Allison on a touchdown, um, and he does the City Boys dance, which is a dance, another dance that I cannot do. Shout out to Lil Duvall, a buddy of mine. Um, tremendous content coming from him every week on Instagram. Uh, the second drive, Kirk, who was under siege all day, sack fumble. Um, third drive for Green Bay, makes it 21 nothing on the second play of the second quarter. So most teams... And of course, I, I am high on the Vikings, so this isn't me um, trying to walk that back or or defend it. But uh, are down twenty-one nothing in the first quarter, it's over, and that's a tough place to play. But when you look at it, all in all, besides that really bad penalty by Diggs and taking his helmet off uh, and costing them an extra point, and the controversial OPI that was reviewed on the touchdown by Cook. They lose by five. That that's a four point play with with Cook, and that's a that's a one point play with Diggs. And so Cousins tried to do everything to lose that game. Um, I mean, he could have used. Uh, where was Bruce Arians? Burn it in the red zone. It's first down. Throw it to Just throw it out the back of. The, yeah, it's a big division game. Twelve is wide open. Yeah. <laughs> so he could have used Bruce Arians. Uh, but the big story to me is you look at this division, it's really a question of do you like the best roster top to bottom or do you like the best quarterback? And to me, it's hard to argue against Aaron Rodgers, but I will say the best team to me is still the Minnesota Vikings. And um, my favorite offseason was probably Green Bay's offseason. I love Zadarius Smith. And, I, I, you know, I like – you know, is they're going to call them the Smith brothers, like Justin Smith and Alden, Alden Smith in San Francisco, who were so dominant. They're not going to be quite that dominant, but uh, these guys, for to the tune of 112 million over the next four years, are going to wreak havoc. And and the the DBs played great last time. Green Bay had a top 10 defense. What happened? Super Bowl, as far as I know, unless that's bad intel. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
the ceiling is really high for both these teams, but they're in different situations, right? I, like I did last year, look at the roster for the Vikings and go, this team is really good. I know the offensive line, you know, concerns, but Dalvin is exactly who we thought he would be. The depth at receiver, their playmakers on defense, their secondary. And I don't even like Kirk Cousins that much. I know it's impossible to compliment the Redskins on anything, but part of me admired that they go, you know what? We just don't think this guy's that guy. So we don't want to give you a hundred million bucks with 80 of it guaranteed. We just don't think you are. Now the backup plan hasn't exactly worked out for the Redskins. We'll see yeah, what happens here with Haskins. Yeah, right. Like there's unfortunately, like I'm not allowed to compliment them on that, but I, I thought it was interesting instead of like, yeah, I know what everybody's supposed to do just give everybody 25 30 million a year but we're not going to go do it and then instead cousins gets 84 million guaranteed and i watch and go you know this is the guy that the redskins are like no we don't want to do this and the thing is he doesn't have to be great for the vikings you wouldn't think he would have to be great the the problem is he's been bad he's been bad and like they didn't even ask him to play really in week one he threw 10 passes but i saw a bad quarterback in week two and they still almost had a chance but he the problem is the protection's not great we worried about the tackles i mean even uh, with the arrival of um, you know, s- some new coaches that we talked about changing the dynamic of the run game and taking pressure off the offensive line and moving the pocket, uh, the tackles are still sort of an issue. And uh, you know, beyond that, he's not Kirk. I don't think Kirk is. I think Kirk catches a lot of heat again because of him making so much money. I think you can win with Kirk, but Kirk has to stop trying to be a playmaker all the time, right? I mean, just don't force stuff. You're on the best roster in the division, in my opinion. Um, and I, I, I think that there's a dynamic there of, you know, he's just got to trust that if he does the simple things, they're going to be in it late. And not to mention, we left Minnesota out of the conversation in tough places to play. That's not an easy place to play in the playoffs either. So they're a team that if they get home field, is going to be tough. It's going to be interesting in that division. It, it sure is. So you still is. like you still like the Vikings in that division because it's starting to feel I'm like, like hey, wait, wait a minute. Like if and you're right. I went back and looked at the 2010 Packers. They were actually number two in score uh, points scored against. I'm sure there's some other analytics nice. somebody could tell me maybe they weren't. But good research. Chris Long is yeah. research. But I uh, I am literate. I do have literacy programs I've run uh, for charity, and I can also read myself. So. Um, Congrats! And you're pretty good to you know. While I'm doing all that, that you can do the research. You're you're good at this shit. I mean, I knew before, but um, well, I want to help you out a little bit on that because I remember uh, all, all the years that they didn't have a good d- defense, and, and it felt like Rodgers was carrying him every single time. Um, but I I look at the Vikings, I look at Cousins, and be like, why do you still like the Vikings so much? I look at the Bears. It's very clear that that coaching staff doesn't trust Trubisky at all. Incredible win in Denver when it looked like there was no chance they're going to win that game. Oh, and Detroit's going to Detroit's an eight and eight team that's either going to win two they weren't supposed to and get to 10 wins or lose to they should have won and be seven and um seven and nine so you know like detroit i already have them nailed like that's, that's well not hard i, to I also out. i don't want to I, I don't want to i think i i maintain that detroit should be two and oh right now and they got a tough stretch ahead i want to shout out maddie p that defense he's built a nice little defense but i i agree you, they're going to be in just, that if you're doing the if thing though and yes against arizona that was ridiculous but like there's a lot of Chargers fans from Los Angeles that are thinking they should have left Detroit with a win yesterday. So, no doubt about it. It can go either way, but but the uh, the ease with which they could have won that that game week one is gonna is gonna haunt sure. them. But you know we didn't get to this week one the Bears Packers game. Everybody's talking about the Bears, and my whole reaction was like, why are we talking about the Bears? Let's talk about possibly the most gifted quarterback you know in the league 
being healthy, seeming happy, and LaFleur energizing the offense, getting the run game going, and and all they've done on defense, it's impressive. So I, what I didn't want to do is jump on the Packers bandwagon. I'm still not going to do it, you know, as a media member now. I don't want to walk back my first week, you know, pick, which is that the Vikings are the class of the NFC North until I'm until I'm shown otherwise. I mean, um, you know, the Bears had a great year last year, but uh, Aaron Rodgers has been the king for a long time. Um, and the Vikings have the best roster top to bottom in, in the division. So uh, the Bears game was wild. I was really happy. Kyle played really well. And um, just a bizarre ending. Uh, just trying to recount that ending is, is insane. They line up for two to win the game. This is Denver. Flacco gets hot late, line up for two to win the game, delay a game, move back. All right, we're going to kick a a, a point after touchdown. They miss it. The Bears think they win. And uh, Buster Scrine is the guy who's having the biggest sigh of relief this Monday out of anybody in America. He's offsides on the extra point. So then the the Broncos move back in and uh, go for two. And then... The rest is history. Did you see that last drive? Yeah, roller coaster of emotions. The roughing the passer calls. And to get a second on the clock on the road. Where, yeah. hey, by the way, what's the ruling on that? Because this came up, it came up in the New Orleans Houston thing. Should you as a defensive player not touch the offensive player hoping you have another second or two runoff? Uh, you know, I didn't is look. The ref at, just going to call him down. I didn't get a great angle. I didn't get a great angle. And I didn't spend enough time looking at it because I, most of the tweets I saw were either people that wanted the Bears to lose or the other way around. Um, but I think what you can't see is that Nagy's trying to call that timeout. So, you know, there was some talk about did they get the timeout timing-wise on time. Uh, Matt's trying to call the timeout as well. But the funniest thing to me about that is this kicker, man, he's got to be the most popular guy in Chicago after everything last year. And by the way, they hit their first field goal since the double doink uh, last uh, last season, which, of course, I was on the field for. And then I was in the suite watching Kyle, and the most sarcastic, loudest cheer erupted through Soldier Field. It was amazing. Uh, and in fact, this is screwed up by me, but I taught my son Waylon to say double doink to Kyle, and he has no idea what it means. Um, oh, that's Kyle's been awful. A good, he's what been a, a good sport brother. about it. Yeah, well. <sighs> okay, so know. that's, do we agree? Because we'll do this, we'll get to the UVA stuff, and then I have the, the nickname game for you. Um Best plane ride has to be Chicago leaving Denver after that one. Well, you can't. You shouldn't really drink on. We talk about drinking on planes. You shouldn't really drink after you've been playing at altitude for that long. But altitude I do think get it was probably. I also, I also, uh, I thought uh, San Francisco had a good plane ride too. Yeah, Garoppolo, who had that pick that I did tweet about, where he threw it into five defensive players. Um from their own 15, I'm like, what the hell is that? And then they ended up, that run game for San Francisco is really good, and it just makes it easier for everybody, and they put it on a Cincinnati team that, you know, kind of go to the season being like, I wonder what they're going to be. Uh, I actually really liked Kyler in his second game. I know they lost, but it looked like it was going to be a blowout. They stayed competitive. He did some really good things. I, th- I don't know if he made the check on fourth and one against zero, but he he had a slant on the inside and was totally calm with it. So that was kind of cool. I think whatever Kyler is, he's not going to be a guy who's emotional. Like if he doesn't work out, it's not because his emotions are all over the place. The guy's really, really laid back. Uh, that Saints plane ride back from LA had to be brutal. Just had because to be you bad, feel like, but yeah, 
but you also know your team's really good and you have a, a coach that that can navigate these waters or we'll see but i will say on kyler if you're on the lamar train and a lot of people are all over the the lamar train and possibly rightfully so uh, although i'd love to see them play like a contention type team um you 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 got to say that the Cardinals aren't as bad as maybe you you thought they were. I mean, they're in that game. And if you knew one thing about Detroit, it was that their defense was going to be very good. And and Kyler, from first half of the Detroit game to the second half of the Detroit game, huge leaps um, in in productivity and, and efficiency. So I think Kyler, I'm going to timidly say he's for real. <laughs> <laughs> that's that sounds that's about as timid as it gets and that's probably the most timid Lamar thing after you know these these two weeks where it's incredible and then he did it running he had the big throws early and it just I don't know we'll, we'll see but uh well it's it's, it's, it's week two I know you like to two weeks yeah I know you like to not overreact and this you'll love this but like look at last year week two Eagles Mahomes by the way I you know like I'm an Eagles fan all these fans are hitting me up like is it is it bad? Is it bad? Like, I'm like, do you remember what happened week two last year? We got our ass kicked by the Bucks. They were shooting that cannon off ten seconds into the game. That stupid ass cannon, and and Deshaun Jackson had like three deep balls uh, to beat us. And then week two, do you remember who beat the Patriots? Uh was it Detroit? Detroit beat them week three. Yeah. Jaguars beat them week week two. Remember Jags. the Patriots were done. That's right. No Bortles was. Insane. I go back and watch Bortles on third down. I actually don't, but he was seven to eight, I think, on third down. He was accurate as hell. He was unbelievable. Then they lose to Detroit. I mean, that was my thing on New England going into the playoffs. Be like, this is the first time in like 13 years with Brady that they've lost this many games by double digits in the same season. Like something's off here. Something's and then off. They go ahead and right. Something's off. And then they go win the Super Bowl again. And it was um, pandemonium. It was pandemonium in Jacksonville. People were hammered in the pool, taking leaks probably in the pool. Uh, you know they got that pool up there. In the end zone. You thought Blake Bortles was going to ha- you know, have them in the Super Bowl. They were for real. So things change, uh, you know, over the course of the season. I don't want to overreact. I probably already have. Did you overreact on Saturday night when UVA held on and beat Florida State? Oh, uh, my man. There's no such thing as an overreaction. You haven't been 3-0 and since 05 or whatever it is. And, you know, there's just an energy in the stadium that's different. Um you know, it's, it's kind of goes back to the days we were there, not to talk about us, but we had a lot of pros and we were good and it just felt good, man. Bryce Perkins, big shout out to Bryce Perkins. Uh, he is a tough dude and he takes a lot of shots on the field and, uh, and, and was, you know, Joe Reed, uh, Bryce, big games from those guys, Florida state, it, they're a, they're a great program. And I, and I know you have some thoughts about rushing the field, but we did rush the field. I didn't care. I know they're not ranked. I also got, you know, pretty oiled up and me and my old roommate, John Phillips, who is a hulking uh, tight end, a decade-long blocking tight end in the NFL from Bath County, Virginia. We rolled up to our old apartment. You know, we said, hey, let's see who lives there now, which is always a bad idea. Wait, what um, time was it? 1230. But the town was buzzing. So we thought electric, if there was any yeah. time to knock on the door... This would be a good time. We were drinking at Dirty Nelly's and our wives were there and we were like, we're going to go to our, our old apartment, which we called it the Meat Mansion. And because um, <laughs> there were 10 football players, just a bunch of meatheads. And um, they're like, this is a bad idea, guys. I think we're going to get an Uber and let you we sit this one out. And JP's like, well, we're headed over there. So 
So we roll up and there's a like a second year engineering student guy getting out of his car and JP, who shouldn't have been the first guy on the beach, is is negotiating with him, trying to convince him that we used to live there. And the guy's positioning himself between the house and the and JP. And I try to kind of be the be the uh, diplomatic one. I go, hey, listen, listen, we let me explain. We used to live here. You know, JP has a bit of an accent. This language barrier here. Um, let me just ask you this. Is the, is the downstairs room still blue? You know, cause I painted my room blue in 08 and, uh, and the guy's like, nope, nope, it's not. And I'm like, fuck, we're not getting in here. And, uh, and then JP's like, well, I know you go up the stairs and there's three bedrooms on the right. And he's like, that, that's correct. And we're like, uh, well, we used to play football here and the guy's like, not interested in football. We're like, okay, we're going to go back to the bar. So that that struck out, but it was a wonderful night at uh, at UVA, and I apologize to that gentleman if he's a Ringer fan <laughs> for us trying to drink a beer in the house with him. That's he what you smart. wanted to do. You wanted to you wanted to relive it. You wanted to feel the old atoms around oh, yeah. you, smell the old smells. You wanted to have a beer in your old apartment, and this guy didn't recognize maybe one of the most famous UVA grads ever, and then maybe was intimidated by your teammate, and he just John's was like, an "Get out of here!" Guy. It was like, but it was never on the radar. Like the whole negotiation, you're like, this, this is not happening. He's not letting two strangers into his house to have a beer. And I respect it. I really do. Um, yeah. When you said I, it was like a trip down memory lane, I'm like listening to like Lloyd Banks and the Carter two at 3 a.m. I'm like, nice, yeah, you know, take me back. It's a good time. Yeah. There was a small business that a buddy and I wanted to do where, and it wasn't based on the movie Old School, but we wanted to have a fantasy camp on some campus that was big enough where you could kind of get away with it. And you just rolled like 20 dudes in and it was a massive house and you had room assignments, maybe even a room lottery. You gave them a fake syllabus of all the classes they were going to skip. And then you would sign them up or you'd get them bra- bracelets, 18 for maybe not 18 over because that's weird. But um, you, would, you would get them. So basically the whole idea was like find a campus, build out this house. And then you just sell it as some sort of bachelor trip or a guy's weekend thing where you're like, you know, Madison would be good for it because Madison feels like you're going back in time anyway. Madison is big enough that it's not going to be like you couldn't do it at Dartmouth. They'd have you out of there in like six months and nobody would want to go to Dartmouth anyway, even though it's a really little town and there's a couple little spots. It would have to be mainstream. Like even Seaville would be too small for it. But I always thought this would work. I mean, we did it. We did it once. We wanted to go back to 292 and Nook uh, in Burlington. And the guys were like, yeah, go ahead. Like, fine. Have a beer on our couch. Like, is this awesome? And then we felt so pathetic because they let us do it. So that might have been the gift. The gift might have been that he didn't let you do it because it was weird when we were allowed to do it. And the guys were like, yeah, well, it would have it would have been weird. And for all the times that I live in the town I, I grew up in and went to college in. So I'll walk around and, you know, like. Your student will be like, hey, man, come come have a beer with us. Or somebody on Twitter is like, hey, come by, stop by Wortland Square, like where I used to live or this, that, and the third. Like, how did you used to live at the Fred? Like, And I'm like, I would never want to do that. Like, that just sounds terrible. But in the moment, it sounded great. But the irony is that when I wanted to do it, this cat was not a fan of football or the ringer, I guess. Well, we, you know what? We're growing here. We're growing here. Okay. All right. Final thing. You've got this? Are you ready for this? Yeah. All right, I'm always going to have a little fun with you. You mentioned it. So this is really funny that you brought it up. That when I was looking up all your quarterbacks, that you were called White Thunder. So you knew you were called White Thunder. Yeah, we started it, man. Actually, it started with Fred Robbins. Um, 
of New York Giants fam who was like a big uh, fame, uh, who was like a big brother to me. And we loved watching Major League, that scene where uh, I guess it was Wesley Snipes and the white dude uh, who was like more of like a five hole hitter or whatever they call it in baseball. Uh, <laughs> five tool? Uh, whatever, whatever he was. He's a guy that hits after your power guy that strikes out a lot. Um, oh, oh, five they, hole. Five, I think you said five tool. Yeah, okay. No, he was, he was the number five hitter and he was that type of guy. Sure. Uh, I forget the character's name, but they they did a movie, right? They did like a fake movie where they were like, uh, and and they had this line where it was like, "Hey, White Lightning, hey, Black Hammer," and uh, me and Fred used to say it to each other. And then when 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 Rob got there and we were like balling out and we were opposite each other, like people people started giving us nicknames and we didn't like any of them, so we were like, "Let's be White Lightning and Black Thunder." And then it occurred to me that I was a lot slower than Rob, so it had to be White Thunder. And I was more of a power rusher, and uh, Rob was the fast guy. So as much as I wanted to be white lightning like the moonshine, yeah, uh, it didn't work out. Yeah, that sounds like you want to be lightning the whole time, but I, I totally get it. Okay, so I went back and looked up some of your friends, and then we can play this. And this all started with my all-time favorite is that pro football reference and basketball reference websites I live on looking up stuff. When I looked up Dion Waiters and looked and saw that he had four nicknames and I'd never heard of any of them. That's the most Dion waiters thing ever. Okay. Uh, the first one was downhill Dion. Okay. Yeah. Another nickname for Dion waiters was Google me. <laughs> By the way, the shout out one, to Dion waiters. He's my Instagram buddy. He follows me. I follow him. Sounds good. The other nickname was headache, but the all time best nickname for any professional basketball player is Kobe Wade. I've never heard him called that other than when I've referenced what? it a few times over the years. Yes. One of the nicknames listed for Dion Waiters is Kobe Wade. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Okay. But not his fault necessarily. So he you're didn't up. Do okay. That. No, he didn't do that unless he wanted to. Okay. Sam Bradford has a, a nickname listed. Oh. It's Sleeves. Oh, Sammy Sleeves. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's, so there is yeah, a real. Yeah. We, we would call Sammy Sammy Sleeves. Okay. What about William Hayes? I call him Big Play Hayes. He called himself okay. Big Play Hayes. The the website that says should be, what is the say? website says Seabreeze. Oh, he does call himself Seabreeze. Uh okay. he also calls him he says people in high point call him Seabreeze. Okay. Um did you know Danny Amendola has a playoff or excuse me, a a, a nickname? It's called I just gave it away, but it's according called. to the website. Danny Amendola's nickname is Playoff Danny. Don't know that one. When Danny and I were together, we went we didn't play in a lot of playoff games. <laughs> that kind of blew my mind. Playoff Danny? I just call uh, him Dola. Yeah, they don't they don't like those nicknames on this website. Jules has a bunch of nicknames. He calls himself like Squirrel, but I used to be Yeah, go I think it's like Squirrel, right? Or Incredible. Squirrel's one of them. Squirrel's one. The other one says, the other one says hot DiCaprio. What? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I hope he doesn't hear that. This could go straight to his head. (laughs) That implies that he's hotter than DiCaprio. You have to ask the female listeners of the ringer. You also, your celebrity net worth came up. Do you want to know what, you know, how much money you have in the bank now? at least a couple hundred million. I'm actually buying an NFL team soon. We should do that with guests, our famous guests. 
we should ask them what their celebrity net worth is on the uh, the internet. Yours is at <laughs> yours is at six million. Oh, where fuck? Where did it go? No, that seems low to me. Did you guys scam me? That seems yeah. I don't know unless you sign some other. De- Remember oh wait, I gave a minute. you my, like my routing number. My celebrity net worth just tripled in a month, according to that website. That's huge. what is it? It went from one to three million. I've seen it for me at sixty thousand. How about I 60K. killed myself for eleven years, and you talk on the radio really well, mind you, and your net worth is half mine. Yeah, but I'm older. I got like a decade uh, on you. Yeah, so you're right. I, I, I don't think that yeah. six number, six million number for you is very accurate. Uh, what mm. else you got going on? Because I think we're going to end it here and say goodbye. Uh, nothing really. Um, uh, just kind of watching a lot of football. I was, you know, I I was bummed about, was bummed about the Eagles game. I was up very late watching those guys, and um, golly, a lot of injuries last night. I'm I'm uh, I want to s- send a prayer to my my brother Timmy Jernigan. He's one of my favorite players. Hopefully, he'll be back soon, having fun out there on the field, and uh, and a big shout out to Carson Wentz, man. He was tough last night. You know, two three uh. Of his best targets down, and he hasn't been in position to win it. Um, so, any Carson slander is not—it's not happening today. All right, good stuff. We'll be back again next week for Chris Long, Ryan Rosillo. Make sure you subscribe to the Ryan Rosillo podcast, and you can follow Chris's stuff at Joel One, spelt out. So Joel One Nine, and also uh, uh, what's <laughs> it's Joel Nine One, bro. You don't read my tweets. I muted you a couple months ago when she got political. Oh, God. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I just did that. Yeah, Joel 9-1. That would make more sense um, for the position than 1-9. So unless you want to have a burner account. It's Joel 9-1. I'm, I, call, I, I call myself the $6 million man. <laughs> I'm going to get that updated right now. That'll do it for us. I'll be back on Wednesday. I think we're going to release the live podcast from Atlantic City tonight. That'll be on Wednesday. And then I promise, I promise you, Friday uh, it's going to be a lot of college football. We just haven't really gotten to it yet. And I know Chris wants to talk some college ball as we keep this thing going. So do not uh, worry for the college football fans out there because I'm going to start pivoting towards some of that as uh, as we gear up after three weeks in. All right. Have a great week. <laughs>